You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, good morning. We are... Uh... Start a new series today, and so um, everyone gets one of these. All right, so if you uh, just want to put your hands up, if you want to see one of these, it's our uh, journal. We want to encourage you guys to take notes uh, for the sermon as we go through the year, and so we give you a little gift uh, at the beginning of the a new theme. So this year, Genesis Foundations, we're calling it. If you don't, if you need a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand as well. The ushers can do. Uh, double duty that way. So if you need a Bible, you go ahead and slip your hand. We're going to be turning to God's Word in just a moment. And uh, this time of year is always exciting, right? Uh, to, to get into a new book. And um, every time I preach a new book, I think it's the best book in the Bible, right? Like it's, like it's, it's so exciting uh, to get into it. And as we were reminded of the richness of God's Word, I want to just remind us what Psalm 19 tells us about God's Word. It is perfect, it is sure, it is right, it is clean, it is true, and it is righteous altogether. And its impact is this, it revives the soul, it makes wise the simple, it rejoices the heart, and it enlightens the eyes. Do you, uh, do you remember the first time uh, you read the book of Genesis? I remember I, I was like seven years old, I was visiting at my grandma's place, and my folks were not believers, so we didn't have a whole lot of Bible study time. And, uh, but my grandma was a believer, and she had this children's Bible that she gave me to read. And I remember reading about creation and, and just being like blown away by, by this idea that there's this God who's made it all. And, and, and um, that was my first experience with the book of Genesis. I still remember it today, 40-some years later. And... Uh, if you have not been around the church, if you, uh, you, know, if you weren't around Christianity growing up, Genesis was likely the first book you read. Why? Because it's the first book in the Bible, right? You're reading this book and you're like, okay, well, I guess you start at the start. That's what we do with all books, right? You didn't understand like there's 66 books in this Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. You know, likely, you know, if a Christian came along, they're like, hey, start in the Gospel of John, right? And, and um, yeah, you know, they, they may have encouraged you to read that. But the book of Genesis is super important if we want to understand the foundations. And as we think about our world being tossed to and fro and, and all that's going on in it, I think this book is timely for us to study right now. And, and you know, have you ever ever came in on a conversation, like halfway into the conversation, like you had a couple of friends, you know, and you come up and you're like hearing them talk and you're like, I'm kind of understanding what's going on, but like, why is that person mad at the other person? I don't really, you know, like you, you only got half the story and you might be able to piece it together, but usually you're going to have to say, hey, like, what, what's going on, right? And they got to go back to the beginning. They got to start at the beginning of the story. And so it is with the world and the way it is and, and all that is in it. We, we need to go back to the beginning if we're really going to understand our present situation. 
How did we get here in 2020? That's the, that's the, uh, that's the answer that was 2022, whatever year it is. Um, <laughs> you're like, oh, that guy's, you, you may need some help. Um, but like, how did we get here? And, and if I don't understand the past, then how can I know what to do now? And how can I have any hope for the future? And, and the world in which we live right now is hyper-focused, like this focus on the present, right? Like, like this live for today. We, we, don't, we don't know what, we don't really care what we're doing today, what, what kind of consequences it will have on tomorrow. We're living for today. And when it comes to the past, if, you, if you're in any kind of universities right now, any kind of, like, like just tear down the past. Everything in the past was terrible. Like, like just tear that down and we just live for the present. And, and, the, and the fruit of that kind of living is hopelessness. Like, like, if you have no foundation, if you don't know how you got to where you got to, if, if you're being told basically you're just kind of some kind of random accident, that's how you came here, and then, then where's the hope? And what we're seeing is like the, that people are depressed, people are suicidal, and, and the crime rates are going up because if there is no reason ultimately for me being here, then who cares what I do today? And so it, this book is highly important for us to understand. I want to just encourage you to be praying about, hey, who could I invite to come to church? And to say, look, we're starting at the beginning, right? We're just starting. And, and, and if you're kind of like, like you're trying to make sense of this world right now, I think there's a lot of people in that category right now trying to figure out like our world's not the same as it was three years ago. And what's happening? And where are we going? And guess what? The Bible tells us these things. And he who was there at the beginning also is over the end. God is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And so as we think about the beginning, we're also going to be thinking about the end today. Now, I want to just give us a quick overview, <laughs> super quick, after all those commercials, right? But we're going to we'll see how far we get this morning. But, but we, we want to get into it and, and understand like how important this book is going to be. But before we do, let's just seek the Lord together. He, we need his help as we study his word today. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we, we look to you. God, as we begin this book of Genesis, we will understand anew that you are the creator. You are the one who has established a plan. You are the one who spoke this world into existence. And as a result of that, Lord, we owe everything to you. Lord, we, we, we have nothing without you. And so, God, this morning, as we study your word today, I pray for those who, you, who are your people. Lord, would you help us to worship you better as a result of what we'll read today? Would you help us to understand greater who you are as we read this book of Genesis? That's ultimately the nail that's going to be hit over and over again. There is a God, and look what he has done. And so, God, we pray that we would be in awe as we study this book. Lord, for those who are here, maybe they, they don't know about you as a creator. They, they, they're new to the church. They're trying to grow in their understanding of things, but right now they, they just don't understand it. God, would you open their hearts and minds by the power of your spirit today to understand these things. Lord, you who are the author of life, Lord, would you even bring new life today to their soul? God, we pray that you would lead this preacher, and you'd help us as we study your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Well, as we get into the book of Genesis, it's really important to just stop and think about, okay, when was this written? Who wrote it? Right? Uh, This book was not written on day seven of creation, right? This book was written by Moses uh, sometime between 1445 and 1405 B.C. It's written while they're in the wilderness. Moses wrote Genesis through the book of Deuteronomy. and, And the people of Israel have been in Egypt for 400 years, right? They're they're. Their ancestors had come to the land. At that time, there was like 70 of them, and now there are hundreds of thousands of them in the land, but their theology is terrible. They, they don't understand who Yahweh is. They've just seen him miraculously free them out of Egypt, redeem them out of Egypt, but they don't understand who he is. And so they, they desperately need some theology. They need to understand who Yahweh is. They've been taught about all these other gods in Egypt. They're about to go into a land of Canaan who have all their gods there. And, and, and so they, they need to understand that, that their God is not those gods. When you think about that, even, even like where were they at theologically, they, they, they had seen a miraculous deliverance out of Egypt. Moses goes up on the mountain. He goes missing for a while. What do they do? They make a golden calf. And worship that, right? Like, like they needed help. And so as we think about that, we think about all the conflicting worldviews that were out there, not unlike today. But our God, this God, is unique. Casuto puts it like this, not many gods, but one God. Not theogony for a God who has a family tree, nor wars, nor, nor strife, nor the clash of wills, but only one will, which rules over everything, without the slightest let or hindrance, not a deity associated with nature and identified with it wholly or in part, but a God who stands absolutely above nature and outside of it. And nature, all of its constitute elements, even the sun and other entities, be they ever so exalted, are only his creatures, made according to his will. So different than everything else that was being taught in the world at that time. Not unlike our time. And so we read Genesis 1. We're going to read two verses, and we will be lucky to cover these two verses. It says this, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we think about foundations in our life. The foundations for our lives are found, first of all, when we believe the reality of the divine origins. When we believe the reality of the divine origins, how did we get here? We will not have any kind of foundation until we arrive to the fact that, as it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is a unique statement then, and it's a unique statement now. If you Google, and I did this this week, how did the universe begin Right at the top of it is to say that there was a Big Bang about 13 billion years ago, and, and, and that's how this all came about. There was a Big Bang. 
And if you were to drill down on that, they would say, you're like, well, okay, but how, how did that all happen? Why did that all happen? They, they'd have all kinds of theories, but they, ultimately there would be a faith thing. Well, just believe that somehow it came about. No mention of God. And so just as Moses had competing worldviews, so we do today. That's our general statement. If you go to any university, that's where they're going to teach you, the Big Bang. That's kind of how we got started and, and go from there. But as we just read, it says here, in the beginning. How did we get here? The Bible tells us how we got here. Now, in the beginning, in Genesis, is actually not the very beginning, If you want to read about the very beginning, you actually have to go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, sorry, was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with with God. All things were through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So before this beginning, before creation became about, there was God. And without him, there is nothing that has not been made. He is the one who initiated it all. Creation is from him. He's referred to here by Moses as Elohim. Now, it's interesting. We've already read uh, in Colossians this morning that Jesus is the one who, who is responsible for creation. We've seen the Spirit hovering over the waters. He's responsible for creation. But in Moses' day, he only knows of him as God in Yahweh. He doesn't really fully understand the work of the Spirit yet. He speaks of the Spirit, but their theology is still being formed. Christ would not come until 1,500 years after these things were written. And so he's referred to as Elohim, which is a name that they would use for God, uh, gods. It's in the plural form here. And when it's used in the plural form, it indicates honor or majesty. As a plural, it is a literary convention that reflects special reverence. If you get out of the first chapter of Genesis and you miss the whole point that this is about God, you're not a very good reader. 35 times it mentions God in the first 35 verses. God is the central focus. We're finding out how creation came about, but he is the central focus, and he is the one who created. Now, the word bara here is um, unique to God. He alone creates. All through the scriptures, we see his, his, uh, that God is the one who's ex- associated with the word bara. And Matthew says, uh, in contradiction to, to other myths, Eastern myths, he says, since God is the creator of all that exists, he is antecedent to it, distinct from it, while yet intimately involved with it. Now, this was different than other religions at that time. According to ancient Near Eastern lore, gods abounded in heaven, and deities were the forces of land and sea. The ancient myths did not adequately distinguish between the creature and the creator. But Israel declares that the universe is no more than a creature. In Israel's view, there was no divine heaven or earth. It was this view that freed the heavens and the earth from superstition and provided an ideological basis for the emergence of modern science. 
I mean, if you go to a lot of places in the world, they're still thinking there's the God of this and there's the God of that. And if you want to make that, you know, like the God of the crops, you got to make him happy. And then the God of rain, you got to make him happy. It's all kind of tied together. And, And what he's declaring here is like, no, God is the one who spoke all of this into existence. His name is Elohim. His name is Yahweh, as we're going to see as we get into chapter two. And what I find interesting in this day of science that we live in. Now, you tell me if you guys, this has been your experience, maybe this has been my experience, but I'm hearing this, this, this terminology of the universe. The universe, if, if, you, if you put good into the universe, you receive good back from the universe. If you put bad into the universe, well, guess what? The universe has a way of, of making things work out, and, and it's going to correct you as a result of you putting bad into it. Has anyone heard this kind of thing? Like, isn't it interesting? Like, who is the universe? That's when I always ask my question. Like, like, it sounds to me like a god, but we don't like to use that kind of terminology. But the more things change, the more things remain the same. And Genesis is directly contradicting this. He says, in the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. Universe is not distinct from God. God is the one who spoke the universe into existence. That's what it's being referred to by heavens and the earth. All that we can see, as I mentioned last weekend, as we, all that we are starting to see, as the, these telescopes go out and we see more and more and more, God created it all. As they send things down into the depths of the oceans that they've never got to before and they start taking pictures there, God created all that too. It's all his creation. He stands separated from creation. He's, not, he, he's very much involved with creation, but he stands above it. He is the king over creation. He is the God over creation creation. So this verse is foundational for our understanding. This morning, do you believe this, that we are here today because in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? If you believe that here today, you are unique on this earth. As I already mentioned, there's like science. We don't really quite understand how it all started. Some are even like, well, maybe aliens did it. Maybe they were the ones responsible for how that all got going. And and then others were like, well, no, it was all the gods and there's all kinds of different theories out there, but, but do you believe this morning that God created the heavens and the earth? That is a foundational thing. If you don't believe that, then, then none of this really makes sense. You have to start at the beginning. Now, what's interesting in this day and age where we're like hyper-focused on the present there's also this whole thing called Ancestry.com. Are you guys into, everybody got memberships? Apparently everybody does, okay? It just sold in 2020 for like $4.7 billion, right? Like everyone's into this. And what's interesting, like, why? Why are we interested in what your great, 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 great grandfather did, right? Like, why are we interested? Because somehow it adds significance to me. That's how we think about it. Like, yeah, oh, like, I mean, back in the 1700s, my, my great, 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 you know, grandfather, you know, he was, um, he was a mayor, <laughs> you know, like he, he won the battle. He fought in this battle. He was, right? And, and somehow that adds significance to us. Did, did you understand what I'm saying? Like, how? But, but there is something right about that kind of thinking. Because if we go back to the very front, 
of it all to the very beginning, much further than Ancestry.com can take you, we find out that God created us. And if God created us, then it adds to our significance in a whole new way. You're not just some accident, just some kind of random events brought about your being. No, God formed you. He is the responsible one for you. And so it adds to meaning and purpose in our life, and it adds to our significance. When you consider all the hopelessness of our world today, how much of it has to do with the fact that people have rejected God as their creator? But when we understand that he's a creator, it changes everything. Think about some of the different verses. Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. In light of a God like that, then he says in verse 29, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. When we look to the creator, then we start understanding, like, look, if I'm going to make it through this life, I need to look to him. Think about what Jeremiah 32, 17 says. Jeremiah 32, 17, ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. As you're looking at life right now and you're, you're wondering, like, how are you going to get through it? Look to this God whose nothing is too hard for him. In verse 18 of Jeremiah 32, he says this, you shall love to thousands, but you will repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of men, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Like we are accountable to that God. The one who outstretched his arms and made the heavens and the earth. And so that's foundational. That's life 101. Secondly, the foundations for our lives are found when we behold the wisdom of the divine order. Verse 2 has been the subject of much debate over the centuries. As I've studied this week, I was like, maybe it would have been easier to preach Revelation Right? Like, there's so much out there that I'm like, uh, I don't remember looking at this in my children's Bible. Right? There, there's a lot that we are trying to grapple with as we study these texts. And, and it's not like, well, there's all the liberals over here, they believe this, and then the people who are orthodox, they believe this. No, it's like, there's been a lot of debate over the years, over verse 2. But Let's not get, we're going to get into the forest a little bit, but let's not, let's not get lost in the forest, okay? Because the conclusion, what we need to understand is that God is over it all. He brings life out of what we're going to try to explain here now, okay? So verse 2, look, look first of all at, that, at the beginning. It says this, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Oh, yeah? What is that? Like, what's going on here? Two main thinkings out there as to what is going on here. Um, first of all, 
I want us just to be reminded, John, John 1, 3 says, there has nothing been made that has not been made by God, right? So whatever this earth is, probably best explained by the fact that instead of in verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. There's, there's this earth that is here, that's been created by God, but it's not yet done, right? So, but what do these two terms mean, without form and void? The one line of thought is that without form and void, it, it refers to an unproductive, uninhabited land, and it has the sense of futility and non-existence, right? It, it, it's, it's there, there is a earth, there is a terra, but it's not yet finally formed yet. It's just the beginning. And, and there is darkness over the face of the deep. There, there is this, it's just, when we think of darkness, it's like if somebody shut the lights off, we'd be like, it's dark, right? This is simply describing a state. It's not anything spiritual about darkness. So that's the one side. It's basically describing the planet as it was before the six days of creation. The other side, sorry, maybe, maybe I could just say on this side too, which I found quite fascinating. This word for uh, eris, uh, sorry, for land is the Greek, uh, Hebrew word eris. For Israel, the land was God's good gift that he prepared for his people to possess. Creation prepared God's good land, earth, which was for man to enjoy and for Israel to possess. So he's suggesting that there, there, is, there is the land, but it's not yet formed. That there is, God's going to do it. And as they're in the wilderness waiting to get into the promised land, he's referring back to the fact that he is the God who is over all the land, not just the land they're about to enter. So that's the one side. And then the other side is to say that, that they believe when you put these words together, the without form and void, that it is talking about a primordial chaos that existed on the earth at that point. And, and, they, and they refer to the, some different scriptures to talk about this. And, and they, when it talks about darkness, they, they say this, that darkness describes a spiritual state all the time in the Bible. They, they would suggest that anytime we think about darkness, what do we think about? Wickedness, evil. And so why then, according to this theory, is that going on? Well, Job, chapter 38, verses 47, again, I just, that's why we give you the little books. Write these verses down and then Tell me how, what, what this actually all means next week, okay? But Job 38, 47 tells us what? That the angels were present at the beginning of creation. And so some would suggest that the reason that there's this chaos on the earth and that there's darkness over the earth is that that is symbolizing the fall of the angels, right? Satan and his angels. And there's something going on in the earth at that point. And so there's this spiritual darkness over the earth. Ross, who's probably the strongest guy who, who supports this, he says, Genesis may be indicating that something happened in the earliest stages of creation, which God had to correct. And in the process, he put everything the way he wanted it to be. In fact, Genesis develops a pattern of creation, uncreation, recreation several times to show God's sovereignty 
in over all things. So he would suggest, like right at the beginning, God's redeeming, right? Like right, verse three, he's redeeming. And so when he says, let there be light, it's dispelling the darkness that existed as a result of the fall of the angels, right? Not of man yet. I, man, I went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth all week. I'm like, I don't know. I'm talking to Ian. Ian and I, my friend over in Ontario, we preach the same text every week. We're wrestling through it. He lands on one, so I'm like, ah, I don't know if I agree with you, and we're going back and forth. So at the end of the day, I landed based on what we see in Jeremiah 4. Quickly turn there. Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 22 and 23. I wanted, I wanted to show you how I, got, I came to my conclusion, and then you can say whether you agree with it or not, okay? Ultimately, let me just say this. You can believe either and be orthodox, okay? You can believe either in, like, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. But here's how I concluded. So we see in Jeremiah chapter 4, if you look at verse 22, it says this. In context, judgment's coming to Judah, He says in verse 22, for my people are foolish. God's speaking of Judah. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise, quote unquote, in doing evil. But how to do good, they know not. And then he says this, I looked on the earth and behold, it was without form and void and to the heavens. They had no light. And so he's describing, basically, he's using creation the, the, the idea of creation, what we see here in Genesis 1-2, to talk about uncreating Jake, or Judah. It's going to be a destruction of Judah. And then he goes on to describe it. And verse 27 says this, For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. Desolation. Uninhabited. And so that's the side I decided to land on. That I, there, there, well, there could be something going on between, we don't know when the fall exactly happened, in between the beginning and serpents showing up in the garden. So that, that, that has some legs to it, but I think ultimately he's talking about that creation was desolate. It was uninhabited. And what's awesome, as we're going to get into it in the weeks to come, you see, that was without form and void. The first three days are forming days, and the void in the last three days is filled. This God, our God, he is the one who took that and made something with order and beauty. He is the God over it all. He establishes order and brings about life from which once was uninhabitable, now has life. And so, what is the application for you and I? He is the one who makes the rules. He is the one who tells us how this life should work. So ultimately, as we think about applying this, as we think about the God who brings order out of that which was disorder, that which is what had no life brings life. If we want to have life, we need to look to him. Which brings us to our last point. Bow to the majesty of the divine objective. Bow to the majesty of divine objective. See, 
no matter what perspective you take, whether it was desolation or some kind of chaos and spiritual darkness, we see this. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He is the one who is hovering over the face of the waters. In other words, what? God is in control. He's the one who's overseeing whatever is going on on the earth at that point. He's the one who's overseeing it. The picture is like he's hovering like an eagle, right? You ever seen that? It's like an eagle just kind of like, they just kind of float around, right? Around the earth. And, 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 they're, and they're looking down. This is the picture we're given here of the Spirit looking down. And as we're going to see in the next verse, as we're going to get into it next week, he is anticipating a new creation. That which had no life now is going to have life. And as we get through the story of the Scriptures, I'm going to just quickly, briefly sum this up because we're going to be out of time here. But as we think about the Spirit's role in bringing life, we see this all through the Scriptures. And we think about God's intention as we're going to get, get studying the chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. We see two things. God's intention is to rule over creation. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the creator, and so he is the one who sets everything in motion. He is the beginning. He also has written the end. And so he will rule. He does rule. Both are true. And then secondly, it is God's intention to dwell with man. When he makes the garden, when he makes mankind, we see that God is dwelling in their presence at that time. But then we see what? Sin comes into the world. And as we're going to get through Genesis 3 and 4 and 5 and 6, it's not going to, it doesn't look good, it's really bad. And not until Genesis 12 do we see any kind of hope where God's like, I'm choosing you to be my people. And he chooses Abraham. And he forms a nation out of them. And as we think about the context of where this is written, God is making a way for them to, for God to be able to dwell in their midst. He, he, the same spirit who is over creating a space for God to dwell with man tells them how to build a tabernacle so that the presence of God can be amongst them in the tabernacle, in the temple. But we see this reign of sin continuing on. And so what? The Word became flesh. God comes and dwells amongst us. The light shines in the darkness, spiritually speaking. And, and he, he is powerful over all his creation. We see his kingdom coming on this earth. The King of kings and Lord of lords. We see these glimpses of his kingdom coming as he heals the blind, as the lame are healed, as the dead are raised to life, while he walks on water, as he stills the storms. But how does creation react to him? They love the darkness. And in the same way that they rejected him in the garden in Genesis 3, they reject him there. And as was the plan before creation, Christ is hung upon a cross. My sin, your sin is placed upon Christ, our God. And the wrath of God is put on him instead of you and I. 
and a new creation begins. This morning, have you trusted in Christ to take care of your sin? If not, you are separated from God. You cannot come into his presence. You cannot come into his holiness. It is only through Christ that we can do that. Because then, as he has taken our sin, he's given his perfect righteousness, his holiness, so that now we can now come into his presence. If you are in Christ today, think about, think about these things. It's just it's so amazing. It's so good. You are a new creation this morning if you're in Christ he says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. New things have come. The Spirit of God now dwells you. He's in you today. And his kingdom is coming through you on this earth. He is making all things new. And I'm praying this morning that even today, new life is coming to someone here, someone watching, someone here who's saying, I, used, I have been re- walking and rebelling against him all of my life, but today I repent of my sin and I give my life to the creator, the one who made me. And I accept his forgiveness through Christ. I believe in faith that he has forgiven me through Christ. And I now what? I want to serve him as King of kings and Lord of lords in my life for the rest of my life as I anticipate the day when he will not just indwell me, but I will be in his presence. Let me just read that scripture. As we get to the end of the scripture, it tells us this in Revelation 21. Now I seen a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, now listen, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. What a day. That will be. The God who created everything to begin with, the, the, the earth that we exist, we, we now have confidence that this day is coming and he will wipe away from their tears, every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the things, former things have passed away. We are anticipating this new creation. If you're in Christ today, we know that the one who has created all that we have today is being, who started the beginning, he's going to bring it to an end where we will be in his presence forevermore. You see, when you have this as your understanding, when you understand the divine objective that he who began all these things intends to dwell with us, then no matter what all the philosophies of this world, we're not shaken, tossed to and fro. We know why we're here today. We are servants of the high king to bring about his kingdom today as we anticipate him coming and bringing in the new heaven and the new earth. And so we stand on the foundation. I just want to end by reading this scripture, Isaiah 46, 8 through 10. Just close your eyes and think about these words. Isaiah 46, 8 through 10. Remember this and stand firm. 
Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Oh, Lord God, we are so thankful for this brief introduction into Genesis this morning. God, you are incredible. Lord, it is an awesome thought to think that you who created it all would desire to be with us. That we would have the privilege of serving you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet this is your plan in the beginning. And so God, we worship you this morning. I pray that everyone here this morning can say, we worship you, God. We're so thankful for your plan, for your goodwill to speak this earth into, into existence, to, to begin it all, knowing that the end plan was our redemption, our salvation, and forever worship of you. God, we love you this morning. God, we thank you for the hope that these things give us this morning. Lord, we know the past. We know the future. And so we know how to live here in the present. Lord, so many without hope, so many without you, God, we pray, Lord, would you help us to be good ambassadors for you in this week to come? Would you help us to speak your truth into the darkness, Lord, that there might be life? God, we love you. If there's anyone here this morning who does not know you yet, God, today, would you bring new life to them? Would you do what only you could do? For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.